What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We're a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB, E-T-H-O-S FantasyBB. We post all of our new podcasts, articles, different news and notes. Everything we got going on on the baseball side gets shared out through Ethos Fantasy BB on Twitter. If you're not on Twitter, please go ahead and check out sportsethos.com. That's where you'll get the different links if you're not somebody who has a Twitter account and spends a lot of their time on Twitter like I do. That's probably the better way to go about it is if you're not on Twitter. Uh, in that case, you can go ahead to sportsethos.com. And I'll remind you here now because it's the beginning of the week. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. Maybe you listen through like one of those Twitter links or maybe somebody sent you the show or you just saw it come up in your feed or whatever. Make sure you're subscribing if you like what you hear. That's the easiest way for you to get it every day. That's the easiest way for us to keep growing is if people subscribe. So that helps everybody out if you guys do that. Now today we are going to be looking over so far, just nearly two months in now, I think it's appropriate to do this, go back and look at the top 50 or so fantasy players so far this season. Now by the time, I think we'll probably end up doing 50. There are certain players that I'm going to highlight more than others, mostly going to be trying to look at the outliers, the guys that when we were you know, putting together our rankings at the beginning of the season, we would have had no inkling that these people would be anywhere close to the top 50. That we're going to still talk. We're going to go through all the names uh, in that top 50, and we'll see maybe how quickly we go. Maybe we do a few more, a few less. Uh, you guys know me. Sometimes I end up rambling, and I don't get through as much as I want. Sometimes I'm a little more concise, and I have more time. We'll see how it goes. But we're going to at least touch on everybody very briefly. There are certain players I want to expand on a little bit more. So what I'm looking at, I'm not using Razzball. I'm not using any of those different websites. I'm just going right through Yahoo, looking at their ranking so far for head-to-head leagues. I don't believe that they differentiate the way that they do it between the head-to-head and roto rankings. Obviously, points are going to be different, but I believe for head-to-head and roto, they are just lumped in together uh, the way that a lot of people do rankings. That's the way my rankings worked at the beginning of the year, and I believe that's how Yahoo does it. So we're just going to start by going through from the top here, looking at the number one ranked player, Ronald Acuna Jr., we already know that he has been just ridiculous. He leads everybody in runs scored. He is second in stolen bases. He's batting 344. He's also got 11 home runs, which is right up there at the top of the leaderboard. If you do look at those websites like Razzball or sites that use dollar values, Ronald Acuna Jr. has been like a 10 or 15, depending on how deep the league is, like a 10 to 15, 17 dollar uh, more valuable than the number two player, uh, which does vary a little bit depending on where you look. But Ronald Acuna Jr., to this point of the season, I you couldn't be more happy with him. He's got 44 runs scored. He's going to fly through 100 runs. He's probably going to go for 30 to 35 home run kind of range at this point. He's got 11 of them through 180 at-bats. If he stays healthy, you're probably looking at 600-ish at-bats. You're probably looking at 30, 35 home runs. 100 RBIs is probably going to be somewhere in the question. Maybe not in question. I don't know. It'll be close to 100, I guess. But he's got 27 through this point. Maybe we're looking at 85, 90. It doesn't even really matter considering everything else he's doing for you. The stolen bases are what could be ridiculous out of him because he might hit 30-some-odd home runs to go along with, like, 60 stolen bases. He could actually get the 60 steals. I wouldn't project that. I wouldn't expect that necessarily. But the talent is there. The speed is there. For him to to do all of that, 35 home runs, 65 steals, you know, 30 and 60, 35 and 60, whatever it's going to be exactly, I don't know. But some ridiculous combination that'll be maybe not unheard of and unseen, but something that you do not see very often 
344 batting average as well. Will that cool off? Probably, but I think you could still see him hitting somewhere in the 320 range. He'll be a, he'll be in contention for the batting title, assuming that he is able to keep up what he's been doing. And generally speaking, it has maintained over these last couple of weeks. He's batting 364. It's not slowing down at all. Five homers and three steals in that time frame as well. So. Ronald Acuna Jr., he was pretty clearly should have been the number one player coming into the season. I did rank him number one, thinking back on it. Thank God that I did, because I did debate going back and forth between him, J-Ram, Trey Turner. There was some thought in my head that maybe I mixed it up a little bit. Kyle Tucker, even for a a while, I was thinking maybe I would have him as my number one player. Just kind of go against what everybody else was doing. He's been very good. Uh, Everybody's been fairly decent on that list there uh, in terms of the top few picks, but Ronald Acuna Jr. does stand out. Far and away above the rest of them. Uh, if you keep going down the list, you got Adelise Garcia, Marcus Simeon, and Freddie Freeman there. No massive surprises outside of Gar- Garcia is a surprise to some degree, although maybe we should not be surprised based on what he has done these last couple of seasons. Uh, we've been fading him for for whatever reason now for the third straight year. If you look at what he did last year, it's 27 homers, 25 steals, 101 ribbies, 88 runs. You know, he's not a massive contributor with the batting average, but everything else that he does, like to this point of the season, he is already at 90 runs and RBIs. Just about 39 and 49 for the runs and RBIs. 49 RBIs. He's on pace for like 150 RBIs or something. It's not going to happen. He's not going to do that. But he's just been so incredible to this point. The steals haven't been as much as we would have hoped for, but, you know, 14 homers, three steals, you'll take that. His teammate, Marcus Semyon, seven homers, seven stolen bases. He's batting over 300. You were pretty much expecting something like this from Semyon, probably not with the batting average to be where it is. You're probably expecting a little bit lower. But everything else, he's, he's doing what you were hoping for, and he looks like, again, like a huge steal on draft day. Freddie Freeman seems like he was pro- appropriately valued. You're talking about a guy who is generally going at the end of the first round. He's providing currently top of the first round production. That'll probably waver back and forth throughout the year. Will he be a top of the first rounder, bottom of the first rounder, beginning of the second rounder? Wherever it ends up finishing, if he's you know, 16, 12, 9, 21, it doesn't really matter. Freddie Freeman is going to return that value. He's still stealing bases. You know, Maybe part of it is the rules. Maybe part of it is that he just wants to steal more because he stole 13 last year but before we had these rule changes in place, and it wasn't really something we were expecting from him. But, God, he could go for a 2020 season. He could do it. I, I mean, it'd be crazy to think about, but it's definitely in the cards. He's going to probably score 100 runs. He's going to probably drive in 100, and he's going to hit 300. There's no deep analysis I can give you on Freddie Freeman. Now, the top guys, I did want to just, you know, quickly just briefly talk about there, but most of what I want to do is go through the big outliers, and the first one that does come up on this list is the current number five player, Josh Lowe. Josh Lowe, to this point in the season, is number five. <laughs> Third, or, excuse me, 27 runs, 34 ribbies. He's got 11 homers, nine steals, and a 318 batting average. That is from not even playing every day. Josh Lowe has been platooning. He's not facing left-handed pitching very often. And I don't know what's going to happen in terms of that going forward because they should probably just start playing him pretty much every day. You can make the argument from both sides here as a fantasy manager. You might say, especially as a daily changes league guy, you might say, I don't really care if he sits against lefties. You know, you'll maintain that higher batting average if he doesn't play. Uh, You know, he gets the odd off day. But if you're in a daily change league, it doesn't really matter, especially if you're in a 10 or a 12-team league. There are tons of outfielders you can plug in, a lot of multi-position guys where even if Josh Lowe plays five days out of six, four days out of six, that's totally okie-dokie considering the production that he is giving you and the replacement level value. Now, there's a chance that maybe they start using him more against lefties. 
He's had only 14 at-bats this year against him, but he's got four hits. It's not terrible. You know, he's hit a home run against a left-handed pitcher. He's not great against them, but I think maybe over time we start to see him volume his way into maybe even more counting stats because it might hurt the batting average if he does play more against lefties and he might not be able to maintain a 318. It might drop, but we might see some more counting stats added in there through, you know, random times getting on base. It's not probably a trade-off a lot of managers would want to take. You're, lo- you're losing maybe whatever it'll be, 30, 40 points of bat- batting average over the course of the season to gain maybe 20, 30 runs in RBIs. I don't know that that's necessarily a trade-off people want to take. It really depends on the manager, the league. If you're in a roto league where you set your lineups weekly, I think you'd probably take it just to get more volume there and you think, okay, I'll worry about the batting average in another way. It really depends on the manager, and I, honestly, I don't know what to expect from him just because the Rays are so odd. I, I don't know if the Rays are going to say, you know, we want to play him every day, if they're going to keep the same thing going. Regardless of the weird thing here for me is that he's only 85% rostered on Yahoo. And I know people will say, hey, oh, 85, you know, people start to zone out a little bit. 15% of people already zoned out at this point of the season. I don't know. Like, you see... Random guys get called up and they get added up in 50, 60, 70% of leagues. I think Josh Lowe should be at 100% rostered. I don't know that that's such a hot take. You know, Mitch Keller's up to 90% rostered. Mitch Keller was somebody before the season, if you're talking 10 and 12 team Yahoo leagues, was probably, I don't even know at this point, 30, 20, 30% rostered. It's not like these leagues are inactive. You know, he is somebody that you need to make sure is not sitting on your waiver wire. Even if you're talking an eight team league, it's going to apply to a fairly low percentage of you, but he is, of all the guys that you're looking at here in like the top 10, the only one who's rostered in less than 90% of leagues. So for whatever reason, some people might not have bought in, but from, whatever, from what he's been doing at this point, uh, I would be buying it. Uh, every, every smart person I know, fantasy baseball-wise, seems to really, really believe in Josh Lowe. There were people who were in on him before the season. I was in on him last year. I was a year early. But, man, I wish I was in on him this season. He looks really good. He's got league average walk and strikeout numbers. Nothing, like, crazy unsustainable there. His BABIP is running is 348, but he's always run kind of high BABIPs. Everything looks really good and fairly sustainable. Will it be sustainable to this degree? I don't know. But I love, love Josh Lowe. I love what he's doing. Make sure he's not sitting on any stupid waiver wires. Now, I did mention Mitch Keller. He's the next kind of... Big outlier here. He's at number nine. Between Josh Lowe and him, and him, uh, you got Joe Ryan at number six, Randy Rosarena at seven, Aaron Judge at eight. All of those, I mean, Joe Ryan is an outlier, but I think we were kind of seeing it from the end of spring training. When we had Alex Fast on the show, we were talking, I guess it was a week before the season started, about last-minute changes to our starting pitcher rankings, and he was saying, oh, if you listen to that show and you drafted Joe Ryan, you should probably send a thank-you message to Alex because he was saying – there's a lot to really, really like about Joe Ryan. He's mixing up his pitches. He's got the sweeper now, and I, I don't really know sweeper slider how they how they separately classify these pitches. But we kind of knew heading in that he looked like he had a different gear this year, and he has. Uh, so credit there, Rosa Reina and Aaron Judge. You're expecting greatness out of both of them, especially out of Judge. That's why they were drafted where they were. Uh, at this point, they're almost an identical tie in terms of the value they've given you. Now, Mitch Keller is an interesting one because we also, on that same show with Alex, talked about Mitch Keller. Neither of us were really ready to buy in because it's kind of like, you know, uh, the boy who cried wolf with this guy. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. Not even that. I'm using the wrong uh, the wrong phrase there. It's, uh, what is it? You know, you go out and ask for help. or I, I guess I'm kind of butchering it, but I think you guys know what I mean. Not exactly boy who cried wolf, but 
once you hear something a couple times and it's not true, then you tend to just kind of zone it out. Uh, you know, a couple of years in a row, it looks like Mitch Keller is going to be breaking out. And then every year, it's kind of just the same mediocrity from the year prior. Last year was not a bad year for him by any stretch. I mean, 391 ERA, he had a 399 XFIP. He was fine. If anything, you know, walk rate at 8.7%, 20% K rate kind of sucked. But he was like a back-end reasonable option, I guess you could have... You could have maybe had him in a 12-teamer, maybe, eh, maybe. I say that kind of loosely. More so a 15-team kind of option. But either way, this season, he is a completely different pitcher. He is striking out 10% more batters. His walks have been cut down from 8.7% down to 5.6%. He's looking really good. Those advanced numbers line up with the actual good ERA. He's giving you 244 ERA. He's got a 283 X ERA, a 269 FIP. 299 XFIP. He's just doing wonders. And if you go down and look at the Sierra, it's 308. That's the highest of the different, you know, advanced metrics for him. That's pretty damn good if your worst pitching indicator is at 308. Now, people will talk about the wins, and I think that that is a reasonable point to make a lot of the time. Pittsburgh is not as good of a team as some people were led to believe by that little hot streak they went on there. They're not a good team. You know, they're, they're not a good team. They got hot, they got lucky, whatever you want to call it. They're probably going to finish third place, if not fourth place in this division. That's, that's, what, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I think that that is very reasonable uh, to say that because they're, they're really not good. And the wins might be something that comes into play where Mitch Keller does not have so many. We've seen it over the last couple of years, right? He's got five wins already in 10 starts this season, which you know is aided by their hot start there at the beginning. But... <sighs> Man, if you just look back at these last couple of seasons, he started 52 games. He's won 10 of them outside of 2023. Is this team that much different than those other years? I don't know. I don't know that there's going to be a ton of wins, but that's about the only thing I can really say against Keller. And it's not something that you can you know, really do anything with. When he's given you the strikeouts that he's given you, when he's given you these solid ratios, sub one whip, 244 ERA, I, there's no reason not to be fully bought in at this point. The only like other than, you know, he's not going to win probably as many games as you'd hope, but considering how volatile wins are anyway, I don't think that that's really a huge deal. So I, I'm in, I'm in on Mitch Keller as crazy as it seems. I've been in on him now for, for a few weeks. It seemed like, you know, I was going to take it easy at the beginning of the season. I wasn't going to, you know, after a first couple of starts where, you know, the first start of the season wasn't great. But after that, it seemed like the strikeouts were pretty good. And I wasn't just, I just fully wasn't ready yet. But what we've seen over these last five outings, strikeout-wise, 10, 8, 8, 13, and 8. Good teams, too. You know, the Dodgers, Tampa, he had Colorado, but then Baltimore and Arizona. It's not like he was beating up on Oakland, Washington, Detroit, and, you know, Good, good teams that he was doing really, really well against. So there's no reason in my mind not to be pretty much fully bought in uh, on Mitch Keller at this point. If we go down one spot, we go to Yandy Diaz. And Yandy Diaz was somebody that I was I was in on before the season. And I, I'm very mad at myself for a couple things. I really liked him. I remember doing different position previews, and we would have talked about him probably. I, I can't remember now exactly. There were so many. We've done so many episodes here. But I believe it would have been the third base preview, maybe the first base one as well. And I said, you know, Andy Diaz is going late. He's going to be batting, you know, fairly reasonable spot in that raise order. I wasn't sure if it would be first or not, but I knew it would be somewhere at the top of the order. 
somebody who gets on base as much as he does, even if you look at what he did last year, like he had fantasy juice, even with the nine home runs, because he batted 296, he had 71 runs, you know, he, he was somebody who had a lot of value. I did not expect this to happen, and I, I expected you know a good season. I expected a decent value, a decent ROI, but man, I didn't take one share of him, not because I was avoiding him. I wanted him, but it just didn't work that way in any of my drafts. I really, really wish that I did take him because this is ridiculous what he's done so far in terms of the power numbers. We saw it in 2019. We saw it, but you don't really believe anything that you see in 2019 because the ball was flying all over the place. He had 14 home runs in 79 games. That's nearly a 30 home run pace. You think, okay, maybe Andy Diaz has something, but in the subsequent years, we've seen him hit since then 24 home runs in it's about 300 games. So there wasn't much real, real hope there, but this season I will leave it to the people, <clears throat> excuse me, who are a lot smarter than I am, who know how to dig through the advanced numbers a lot better than I do. But the launch angle is different. The max or the, the exit velocity on average is a lot better than it was previously. You're looking at usually for his career, 91 uh, max or not, excuse me, 91 average exit velocity. The season that's 95. He's hitting the ball harder. He's hitting it more in the air. He's barreling the ball almost 13% of the time for his career. That's 6%. So he's just changed completely. Again, another guy where I, I took a little bit to, to fully buy in. Even though I believed it coming into the season, even though I thought, yes, this is going to be a good Yandy Diaz year, it took me a while to really, truly understand what we're seeing. And it's a, it's a total breakout for Yandy Diaz. You know, he might steal a couple of bases for you, but really it doesn't even matter because of what he's doing at the top of that raised lineup. A team that... They've kind of cooled off a little bit, but they're still you know a very good team that's going to score a lot of runs. He's hitting homers. He's going to be batting you know over 300 or close to 300. Again, huge value. Uh, one of the biggest values on draft day was Andy Diaz. The Rays in general, you know, a lot of good values there. If only their pitchers had stayed healthy, uh, then who knows what the season could have been. But to this point, Andy Diaz looks incredible. And again, I think that there's fairly uh, it's a fairly sustainable start to the season for him. Now, if we go to the next kind of outlier after Yandy Diaz, it's Eduardo Rodriguez. We got, so I'll, I'll just list them off in order here. So Shohei Otani is at 11, Pete Alonso 12, Cedric Mullins 13, and then Eduardo Rodriguez at 14. We saw him come back down to earth a little bit in his last start. Uh, he was four runs in five innings against the Pirates. Now, I heard some really reckless takes on Eduardo Rodriguez about a week or so ago. I tweeted out, like, guys, let's let's get a grip here, honestly. We're talking about a guy who doesn't strike out a lot of batters, who pitches for a bad team, who's generally not been very impressive, who was vastly outperforming his advanced uh, advanced metrics. He's got a 206 ERA, a 285 X ERA, 324 FIP, 372 X FIP. And I know it doesn't sound terrible, 372 X FIP, but it's almost a two-run difference from what he's actually doing. He is getting very, very lucky out there on the mound. Now, this is part of my tweet as well, as Fangraphs wants to reload here. Sometimes Fangraphs really, really messes around here. Uh, here we go. So, to get back to the luckiness factor of Eduardo Rodriguez, first career, he's allowed a 300 BABIP, 303. This season, 222. He's getting very lucky on balls that are put into play, not becoming base hitched the way that they previously had for him. Left on base percentage for him for career is 74. Generally, most pitchers are in that kind of 70-75 range. This season, he's stranded 85.7% of batters. This is a situation where it is not going to sustain Eduardo Rodriguez. I will say it here right now. Somebody wants to clip it 
whatever, save it. Eduardo Rodriguez will be on most waiver wires by the time the all-star break rolls around. He is not a good pitcher. He does not get strikeouts. He's had some good matchups recently. You know, he's done well. Even at the beginning of the season, you know, if you look, he had Tampa and Houston. He did not do well. Then he did well against Toronto. Okay, fair. Then he did well against Cleveland. Cleveland's been awful. He did well against Baltimore's offense. Baltimore's been good. He did well against Baltimore twice. I'll give him that. He did well against the Mets, who have been kind of, eh, you know, not what we were expecting. And then he did well against Cleveland again. Cleveland's offense, brutal. Then Pittsburgh, he did not do so well. He gave up the four on runs. Next time out, he gets Kansas City. That's actually tomorrow. He'll probably do well because it's Kansas City. And they couldn't hit a beach ball, you know, on the broad side of a barn. But Eduardo Rodriguez is somebody where if you still can, and you probably can based on the fact that you know he is literally the 14th ranked player according to Yahoo. It will vary a little bit based on where you're looking. But you know he's generally giving you first, early, second round value so far this season. Sell him while you can because that is not something that is in him. It is not who he is. There's nothing that's drastically different about him this season. And I tried, right? I tried to look around and say, okay, maybe there is, you know, something. I'm looking at different pitching metrics and stuff like that. And uh, he's not throwing faster. You know, his slider is slightly faster, which is kind of weird. But, you know, fastball is right where it's been for these last couple of seasons, slower than he was when he was younger. It was about 93, 94. That's about 92. The slider was generally 86 to 85 when he was younger. Then went down to like 82, 83. This year so far, he's barely throwing it, but 84 and a half miles an hour. It's the pitch, the speeds anyway, like, uh, they're going down, if anything, over the course of his career. They're not maintaining. They're not going up. The cutter has gone from about 90 to 88. It's still about 88. Not, not really much to write home about there, but the changeup, 87 down to 86, you know, the slider the only thing that you can look at and say it's gained a tick and it gained it to go back to where it used to be. Everything else is kind of declining. I, I just I just don't, can't look at this guy again with his, what is it, 24% K rate, which is fine, but still, you know, rather unimpressive for a starting pitcher, if we're being honest at the same time. I think the average is, I think, 22.5 or something like that. 24, if you're striking out 24% of batters, that's... It's, it's okay if you're doing a lot of other things well. If you're like George Kirby, I think George Kirby's K-rate might even be lower than that. But if you're doing like that kind of thing where you got really low whip and everything else kind of works for you, good team context, then okay. But Eduardo Rodriguez, you know, he's a 23% K-rate guy for his career, 8% walk rate. You know, the park he's pitching in was favorable last year. And now it's become more of a hitter's park. I just think that this is going to come crashing down at some point, and Eduardo Rodriguez is not somebody that you're going to want on your rosters at all. I talked about this on the show last week. I believe it was last week, maybe the week before. And I think it was last week where I kind of broke him down a little bit, similarly to what I just did there. So apologies if you heard that other show as well. But I just think people need to be aware that this is not who Eduardo Rodriguez is. If you want to go out there and buy high on him or anything crazy like that, you are going to get hurt. There is no need to be spending anything to go and acquire him. If he's dropped in your league, whatever, he won't be. But don't be going to picking him up. He's just not going to be worth it. He's really not. If you're in like a deep league, maybe. But I don't think in most cases you can really look at him and say, yeah, he's somebody that is going to have rest of season sustainability. I just really don't think so. Let's keep it going, though. And let's move on to the next kind of outlier here. I won't go through every single player because, you know, I don't need to go through and tell you why Otani and Garrett Cole and Zach Gallon are great. Let's just go to the next big outlier, and I am purposefully going to skip over Justin Steele because we've talked about him a lot on the show. We've done a lot of Justin Steele stuff over these last couple of months. I think that he is really good. 
I think that he is probably still somebody that you can sell high on. Not, I was worried about him as I am Eduardo Rodriguez. I think he's fine. I'm not going to get into so much depth about him because you know, I, I've done it a few times already over the course of the season. I think that he is outperforming his metrics still, and he's uh, generally uh, not the most impressive if you look at strikeouts and whatnot. And, and, and the whole picture is maybe not as rosy as what you see on the surface. But I do like Justin Steele. I do think that he is going to be somebody that does stay on your rosters, maybe not your shallow 10-team rosters. But I'm a fan of Justin Steele, more so than I am of Eduardo Rodriguez. I do want to talk, though, about Nolan Gorman. Nolan Gorman is a really interesting case because last season he was somebody that we were kind of interested in as a fantasy community. I think anytime the Cardinals ever call anybody up who's going to be getting what you think is semi-regular even playing time in that lineup, they have interest just because of how deep that lineup typically is. Gorman last year, he was okay. I think he was maybe viable in in your 15-teamers. He probably was. You know, 89 games, he had 14 homers. He had one steal. He batted 226. It was okay. It was, you know, I think he, I think he was probably worthy in a fifteen teamer. If you're talking twelve team leagues, I don't think that he would have cut it. If you're looking at this year, though, Nolan Gorman is somebody who was worthy of a roster spot in any league, and you know, he's another guy here, like like Josh Lowe earlier, who is still below ninety percent rostered on Yahoo. Probably going to apply to a low percentage, you, but he was at eighty three percent just yesterday. He's up to eighty six now. But go and take a look and see if Nolan Gorman is available. He is typically batting third in that lineup. Sometimes he will bat sixth. And today is an example of that where he is batting sixth, but he typically has been kind of bouncing around between those spots. It doesn't really matter. Either way, he's getting at bats in the middle of a really great lineup. And he's producing like he has not done even in the minors to this degree. He's got 13 homers. He's got three stolen bases. He's got a 12% walk rate and a 24% strikeout rate. Last year at the big league level, 9% walk rate, which is still very, very good, but a 33% strikeout rate makes it kind of tougher to swallow. When you're adding points to the walk rate and shaving them off the strikeout rate, that's always a good thing. You're batting in the middle of a stacked Cardinals lineup, albeit they haven't done exactly what we would have wanted the whole season, but they are starting to heat up now, and he is looking like a big reason for it. 8-2 in their last 10. Nolan Gorman over the past couple of weeks, 6 homers, 16 RBIs, He's 16 for his last 37, uh, 432 batting average. Really, really impressive stuff. I think that he will stick, whether it's in the top of the order or middle of the order, either way. Go and get him if you can. I know, again, it sounds stupid, but 86%, there's just, I see people getting added up every single day. Maybe there are some shallower leagues where he is still sitting on the wire. Make sure that that's not your league. Sometimes there are players where you think, oh, okay, you know, Maybe he belongs on the team, but not my team. I think most people can make room for a guy with second base eligibility who is doing what he is doing uh, in that lineup. No reason for him to just be sitting on waiver wires. Now, there's a lot of kind of familiar names, expected names in this next little group coming up. We got Shohei Otani, the batter, which is just, this is really a side note, but just crazy. So if you guys don't play on Yahoo, you probably don't realize this, you're not aware of this. You might be, but Shohei Otani is two separate players. you got to draft two separate Shohei Otanis if you want them, two separate roster spots, both of which are top 20 players on their own this season. Think about that for just one second. The Otani, just pitching stats, 11th overall. Otani as a batter is 18th. <laughs> like, just it's, it's unfathomable, really. As a pitcher, 59 innings, 80 strikeouts, a 3.05 ERA, and a .90 whip. He's also got five victories 
As a batter, Shohei Otani, 27 runs, 11 homers, 32 RBIs, 6 steals, and a 287 batting average. The one league where I do have Otani is the TGFBI Industry Fantasy Baseball League that's run on the NFBC where you set weekly lineups. I used Otani as a pitcher for week one because it was a short week and it started on a Thursday and you know I'll take the one Otani start over the three games in the field or in the field at the plate I should say but since then I have not used him as a pitcher in that league I, even the one week where he did have two starts I just been looking at what he's been doing producing offensively and I just don't really want to risk having that one bad start potentially which there has been a couple of bad ones uh, even though he is the 11th overall player there's been a couple of bad ones I didn't really want to risk that you know that that start being my Otani output for the week and just leaving whatever it is three home runs and a couple steals on the table because he has just been so consistent and I did not want to miss out on those offensive stats but looking at it I could have started him either way really and, and I would have been happy with it if you go beyond though sorry that was just my ADD popping up there and just remind, reminding myself of how great Otani is but Otani, batter, is 18, followed by Matt Olson at 19, Garrett Cole at 20. And then I can't, for the life of me, remember how his name is pronounced. Yanir, I believe it's Yanir Cano. We're talking about the reliever for the Baltimore Orioles, who gave up his first run of the season the other night against Toronto. May 19th, gave up your first run of the season. He has thrown 23 and two-thirds innings. He has a .38 ERA. He has a .30 whip. 26 strikeouts, three saves, and a victory. Where did this guy come from exactly? Like, I I don't know. There's certain teams that do this sometimes. And I guess it's kind of the nature of relief pitchers, too, that there'll be just a year where you're just like, who the hell is that? Like, who? where did this guy come from? Maybe I wasn't paying enough attention. But a 29-year-old who has been just kicking around the minor leagues since about 2019, Minnesota and Baltimore, I think he was part of the Jorge Lopez trade. I believe that that's ringing a bell in my head i still don't know where this is coming from this is crazy he hasn't walked a batter yet 35 percent nearly strikeout rate like i just it's it's remarkable it's it's honestly remarkable that he is still available in so many leagues but the fact that he has just produced the way he has after being somebody that was on zero radars to start the season i have him in a couple of leagues he was actually dropped in my home league earlier today it's a 10 team league and then picked up within seconds cuz that's how my home league works it's very first one to the punch bowl kind of setup there's no waivers and it's my only league that works like that it's the way my home league has always worked and it's kind of fun it's just you need to have notifications on and you need to be able to drop what you're doing it might suck if you're in a meeting or something and then you just you know what are you supposed to do at that point you don't see your phone or you're at lunch or whatever but he was dropped picked up within seconds of all the guys we're going to talk about today i could be wrong but i think i'm correct uh i might be wrong but i, I it's pretty close he is the one that is available still in so many leagues. At 68% rostered on Yahoo, you can get him not everywhere, but in most places. Go ahead and take a stab on him if you can. You're going to, to this point, if anything is, if this is an indicator of what we're going to get going forward, you're going to get solid strikeouts with solid ratios. You're going to get the odd save. You're going to get the odd win. There's no downside to picking him up in any league at this point. I think that he is worthy in 10s, 12s, 15s. Just looking at the stats, they're just they're just so good. They're so eye popping. Will it get worse than this? Almost definitely. You know, he's got a BABIP of one forty six. He's stranding eighty seven percent of base runners. He's gonna walk some guys. It's gonna happen. 
always a pretty high walk rate guy in the minors. But to this point, he looks amazing. He should not be sitting on waiver wires. I don't know how sustainable it is like in terms of this exact number, but a good season is definitely sustainable for Yanir. I believe it's Yanir Cano. That's how you pronounce it. Y-E-N-N-I-E-R Cano, if there's any confusion on who I'm talking about there. Go and pick him up if you still can. Once we get past Cano here, who's the 21st-ranked player, according to Yahoo, there's actually a good little stretch of players that were drafted high up that deserve to be drafted high up. You know, we've talked, you know, in the first 21 names, six of them are very obscure guys. Lowe, Keller, Diaz, Rodriguez, Gorman, Cano. Not at all guys you'd be expecting. From that, from then on, we have about 13 names in a row that, yes, they were generally taken in the top 50, 60 picks, and you were expecting this. Zach Gallen, Luis Robert Jr., Felix Batista, Rafael Devers, Bo Bichette, Jordan Alvarez, Spencer Strider, Framber Valdez, David Bednar. You could argue a little bit of, of an outlier here, but closers are are volatile in that regard. Like they might just be really high up, and then it could just be like, you know, literally one bad game shoots them back down like 60 ranking spots. But not crazy to see David Bednar ranked where he is, especially considering how strong the season was uh, to start off for Pittsburgh. Anthony Rizzo at 31, you could argue a little obscure, but not crazy. Paul Goldschmidt, 32, no, reigning MVP, pretty expected. Ronda Franco, yes, but I wouldn't part him in that same grouping as like, you know, this is a complete shocker because we were expecting him to eventually break out. And he actually has cooled off quite substantially. Uh, over the last two weeks, he's batting 220, just a one home run. He's still stolen six bases in that time, but definitely cooling off. But when you go beyond him, then we get another interesting name here. And I don't want to say completely obscure because people know who this guy is. But we were not expecting this kind of season at all from Nathan Yavaldi. What happened? I heard some jokes that, you know, Jacob deGrom transferred some magic to him or whatever. Pretty funny. But I honestly don't know what it is. He's somebody who for the last couple of years has been just, you know, pretty good. He's been fine. You know, I think it's a lot of the time it's the control that gets him by because he's just had such a minuscule walk rate for so long that – he doesn't need to be exceptional to keep batters off base and give you good, strong whip numbers and just be a, an overall really good pitcher. But so far this season, he has been, you know, one of the best in baseball, top 35 player. I haven't sorted this by pitchers, but I think he's a top, you know, 10 or so starting pitcher in baseball so far this season. Where does it come from, from a guy in Anthony Evaldi who is 33 years old and who is coming off of, an okay year where he missed some t- quite a bit of time with injury. You know, he started 20 games. It's just, it's hard to know where these random breakouts, not even breakouts, but, you know, reemergences kind of come from. It's not the speed. I don't believe it's the pitch movement or anything like that. I think his pitch mixes are pretty similar to what we've typically seen. He's throwing the slider a bit less. He's throwing the curveball a bit less and he's throwing the splitter a little bit more. So maybe it's the splitter that he's using more that is having more of an impact. Let me just take a look here at, at one thing, oh, the pitch value. Yeah, the splitter has been his most valuable pitch so far, so maybe that's what we can attribute it to. But regardless, it's hard to know if this is something that is fully sustainable with him. I would lean towards yes, because the numbers aren't so, so crazy from what we're used to seeing. If you look at the advanced numbers these last couple of years, the XFIPs are actually usually really good. 332, 348, 346. This year it's at 316. So it is better than what we're used to seeing. Not a crazy unsustainable number, though. If you're looking at BABIP, 297. Left on base percentage, 72%. All pretty sustainable, normal numbers. You know, those other pitching indicators, 246 FIP, 290 XERA. 
If you go to the Sierra, you're looking at 329 all within very good reason of being, you know, a decent pitcher. I, I, I butchered that phrasing there, but he is somebody that I think is, it's fairly sustainable. If you look over what he has done in his career, nothing too different from what we're seeing this season. So I would lean towards Ivaldi is probably somebody that you could still sell and get more than he is worth the rest of the season. But if you want to hold on to him, there's no reason to think that he can't give you another 100 or so really good innings. Probably not top 35 level innings, but I think he can be like a top 40 or so starting pitcher. Something like that rest of the season. If we move on now from Yavaldi, next up we got Tyro Estrada, who I didn't include in this list of guys to go deep into because I think it was generally expected that he was going to be a good fantasy value. He was close to a top 100 player last season. He is overperforming what we were expecting, but I don't think he is in the same breath for me as your Canoes and Gormans and Yandy Diaz and Josh Lowe and guys that are, it's a big surprise because Tyro Estrada in you know some leagues, I can't remember the ADPs now because it's been a couple of months since I've really looked at them, but I believe he was going like just outside the top 100, I think like 120 kind of range. So this isn't, uh, it's a surprise, it's a, it's a happy surprise, but it's not like a massive, massive outlier. Uh, if you keep going down, we got one in a second here, though. After Estrada, we got Clayton Kershaw. No surprise there, Kershaw is still doing Kershaw-like things. Had a bad start against St. Louis's last time out. It's also, his mother just passed away, and uh, he probably just needs some time to get his head right. So no, there's no worry with Clayton Kershaw there, just as a side note, but Right below him on the rankings is our friend Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray, I mentioned this before on the pod, that he was the last pick in my home league. It was the very last pick overall. It was a 10-team league. I thought, ah, okay, Sonny Gray, he's got a pretty decent start of the year. He's got Kansas City for that first outing. I'll start him, and we'll see where we go from there. He has been my best pitcher in my home league. Like uh, He's been the best pitcher for a lot of people to this point of the season. Where it comes from, Nobody knows. Uh, I, I really don't know where this version of Sonny Gray is coming from. We're seeing strikeout rates from him that we saw in Cincinnati for a couple of years there, 29, 30, 27%. We're seeing nearly 30% strikeout rate. Really good. I don't know if that's something that he can really carry on because it's just kind of bounced up and down for his career so much. I'd like to think that because he has maintained it now for the first, are we, is it 10 starts that he's had? Nine starts. I'd like to think that it's generally sustainable, but even like you know, asking for a 30% strikeout rate from anybody is kind of tricky. He's for the career. It's all averaged out. And then, again, ups and downs throughout the career in terms of how many guys he's striking out, but it's averaged up to 23.4% K rate. If you look at last year, it was 24%. Is he now just going to be a 30% K rate guy? Likely not. The walk rate has jumped up a little bit. It went from 7.4% last year to 9.4% this year. Went from the acceptable range to the mm, not-so-great range. Now, because the strikeouts are going up, it's okay, but he's actually had a higher whip this season than he had last season. Sonny Gray, despite this amazing start, you know, 164 ERA, great strikeout numbers, blah, 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 the whip is actually higher. If you look at what he's doing advanced stat-wise, there's also some concern there. It depends on which one you look at, which one's your go-to. His ERA is 164, but the XERA... 317, the XFIP 337. Now, his FIP is 202. There's a reason for this. And again, the best person for this would probably be like a Nick Pollock, Alex Fast person to talk to. But the way that XFIP works, it uses expected home run rate. It doesn't use like the league average home run rate. 
I believe. I could be wrong, but I, I am, I'm 99% sure this is the way it works. It doesn't use your actual home runs allowed per nine or home run rate. It uses what the average is. FIP uses your actual home run rate. Sonny Gray has yet to allow a home run this season. So the FIP is 202 because they're not factoring in any of those home runs. The XFIP at 337 is assuming that generally he is going to give up a league average number of home runs. For the career, he's actually been pretty good at suppressing homers. He's got a .86 homer per nine. Very good number. I don't know that he's going to maintain a zero homer per nine. So, yes, it's probably the real number is going to lie somewhere between, you know, a two and a 337. It's... I mean, it's not going to be two, let's be honest. It's probably going to be, like, low threes. Let me take a look at the Sierra real quick. I can't remember what it's at. 362, actually. A lot of people like Sierra, and it really does depend, too, your analysis of a player, which metrics you like to use. I like FIP. I like XFIP. Sierra, I need to do more digging into. There's just so many different nuances with these different metrics that you couldn't be faulted for trusting all of them or none of them. I mean, you got you got to trust something beyond ERA, but I think you guys know what I mean. There is... A lot going on, so it really does depend which one you look at, which one you trust. For me personally, I don't think this is terribly sustainable for Sonny Gray. 84% left on base percentage is pretty damn high. 306 BABIP he's allowing does give you some promise because it's not like, okay, he's given up you know, a 120 BABIP. That's why he's been so good. No, he's given up you know an average number of hits on balls in play. I just worry that it's not even going to be you know awful, but it's going to be to the point where Guys like myself, this is what I worry about. In a 10-team league, there's pr- I should probably be actively, aggressively selling him. I should probably be going out of my way to sell Sonny Gray because in a 10-team league, it doesn't take much for people to lose faith and want to drop you. I think uh, the more I think about it, you know, if I hold on to him and there's like one more bad start, two bad starts, whatever, he's coming off of a not great one against the Dodgers, not terrible, two runs in four innings, and he was pulled after 84 pitches. But if it's one or two bad starts in those shallow leagues, then you don't have any trade value with him anymore, despite, you know, all the goodwill you built up for these first couple months of the season. So I think in those shallow leagues, you have to pretty aggressively try to sell Sonny Gray. It could be a mistake, but I think at the end of the day, it's a, something that you probably should look into doing. I I don't know that the strikeouts are sustainable. I don't know that the ratios are sustainable. Kick the tires and see what kind of deal you can get yourself if you were to trade Sonny Gray. Now, if we keep going down this list, again, more kind of expected numbers beyond him. Uh, Devin Williams and Josh Hader. Christian Yelich has been a surprise, but considering he's a former MVP, it's not too much of a surprise. You know, Estuary Ruiz is I always butcher his name as well. He's been a surprise, but honestly, has he? He's done pretty much exactly what we expected, just maybe more stolen bases than we would have thought. 24 of them, by the way, in 189 at-bats. Absurd number, just an absurd number uh, for sure, but I don't know how surprising it really is because we just knew the speed coming into the year. David Robertson, he's next. How surprising is he? A little bit, but I think we were expecting good numbers from him at the same time. I don't know. I'm I'm not terribly surprised uh, at, with David Robertson. Alexis Diaz as well. Like I think Maybe I'm a little bit more surprised with Diaz, but I was expecting both of these guys to do well, which is why I didn't include them. There is a closer, though, right below them on the rankings, Carlos Estevez. And maybe we shouldn't have been surprised because if you guys listened to the show that I did with Greg Jewett before the season started, you definitely should have listened to that one because he talked about it 
uh, Carlos Estevez and how getting away from Coors Field was going to do wonders for him. I took him in one league. I wish I had him all over the place because he has been lights out. 123 ERA. Now he has a rather high walk rate of, what is it at now, 10% on the dot. So the 1.14 whip is probably a little bit too high considering the ERA. But 12 saves, 29 strikeouts in 22 innings. He's got one victory. He's looking... Um, he's looking really good. And I know there was some concern at the beginning of the year about who they were going to go to. I think there was a couple of rough outings for him. He's their closer. He is undisputedly the closer for the Angels. 84% rostered in Yahoo Leagues, and even less so if you go to ESPN. If you are somebody in need of a closer and you're in one of those shallow shallow leagues, he needs to be taken a look at. Again, I know when I mention to somebody in their roster percentage is over 80, it's probably not applying to a lot of you, but if there's even one person that can say, okay, maybe just take a look on the wire. Oh, yeah, Estevez is there. I'll drop whoever the hell I've got, you know, one of the Cubs rotating guy, or whoever the hell it is, or somebody that is in a committee or whatever the case may be. If you can switch them out for a guy like Estevez, who I think has serious rest of season value, I'd be doing it. You know, there's some guys we talked about today that I am not as sold on. He is definitely one of the guys that I am sold on going forward. So, I mean... Diaz and Robertson right before him, maybe to some degree a surprise to how well they've done. But like I mentioned with Bednar earlier, closers can just go on these really nice runs and rack up a high ranking because of a couple of victories, because of saves, because of good early season ratios. Those guys, I think, were more expected to do well, and they were drafted higher than a guy like Carlos Estevez was. He was the big surprise for me. George Kirby at number 46, not a big surprise. We were expecting good things out of George Kirby. I ranked him as a top 20 pitcher. I'm very happy about that. Nolan Arenado at 47, not very surprising at all. He went on a stretch. I believe it was, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six homers in seven games. Just ridiculous. He really turned his season around just, just in that stretch. But at number 48, and the last guy that I'm going to go in depth on here is Tyler Wells. Tyler Wells is really a surprising case this season for a long time, and I'm not sure if he still is. It was leading the league in whip. I believe he still is for starting pitchers that are qualified. 0.79 whip so far this season. A lot of that comes from the fact that he does not allow a lot of walks. 5.1 walk percentage, only a 23.5 strikeout percentage, but when you're walking so few batters and you got a whip that is literally 0.79, I'm going to take a look and see if he is still the whip leader. I I think think he is, but let me just double-check that uh, for sure. Yeah, he is. He is .79. He is the leader by .7 or .07 over Eduardo Rodriguez, who we talked about earlier. But if you look at what Wells has done, as good as it looks on the surface, he's another guy that I would be taking a look at and trying to sell in your shallow league specifically because there might be in a 15-team AL only where uh, it doesn't matter. You're just going to have to hold on to him because there's just not really that many bodies or you don't have trading capabilities. But if you look at what Wells does, strikeout rate is relatively unimpressive. You know, 23 and a half, it's okay. You can get by with it, but it's not, you know, something to write home about. If you're looking at the BABIP and the left on base percentages, I know they're not everything, but he is literally allowing a 163 BABIP so far this season. Awful. It's, it's, just, I mean, not awful. It's awful for the batters against him. For him, it's great. But it's also a sign that that's not going to sustain. You can't hold on to a number like that that is so low for the whole season. Left on base percentage, 89.3. Again, not sustainable. He is going to start allowing more of these runners to score. It's not going to happen. So make sure that if you have Tyler Wells, that he is somebody that 
you at least try to trade. Not that you need to trade, but give him give it a try anyway. Make sure he's not just sitting there in your shallow league waiver wires or any waiver wires really. Pick him up. It might be kind of disingenuous to pick somebody up and try and trade them, but maybe you pick him up and you start him against the Yankees and then see how it works because I'm not so sold on how great the Yankees are as a whole offensively, really. I would take a look and see maybe even before that start if you have him, after if you don't have him, pick him up. Just see what the market is because he's another guy like in that sunny gray territory where, you know, once it gets bad, people are not going to want to even look at them. If there's a bad start, then there's no value in those shallow leagues. If you can get any kind of anything for trading him or Sonny Gray, you can get more than anything for trading them. You can get a, probably a decent return as their top 50 players, respectively. But just make sure um, you're not just becoming complacent, sending them every single week, because there will come a point where they probably won't have nearly the same value that they do. His 294 ERA is looking like, I mean, it's got a, he's got a 433 XFIP and a 466 FIP. He's outperforming them. And it's not like he has like you know a sub one ERA and he's perform outperforming it by two runs and it's still you know a three xFIP. It's four thirty three, four sixty six. They're not great numbers. So take a look into selling Tyler Wells. See what the market is. Ride it out while you can. But I just think that there's going to be an expiration date that is sooner rather than later on this. Once you go beyond Wells, it's Christian Walker and Max Muncie that do round out the top fifty. But guys, that's going to do it for us today. I hope you're able to get something out of this. I get something out of these exercises just by going through these players, digging into the data, just seeing if you can buy what you're seeing or not. Let me know what you think over on Twitter, at JoeOrico99, at EthosFantasyBB, or at SportsEthos.com as well. Guys, until tomorrow, I hope you have a great night. Set your lineups. Make sure you got everybody that you need to in there, the guys that you need out. Get them out of there. Press the save button and enjoy this coming week of baseball, guys. Until tomorrow, take care, have a great night, and cheers.